0: and welcome to the Three Caffeinated Coaches podcast. We invite you to grab some caffeine, take that first sip and join us as we discuss all things
1: mentoring, coaching and leading across education. My name is Georgie Nadine and welcome to our book study podcast episode 11. Really excited to bring you part five of Joe Owens How to Lead called Skills of Success, The 21st Century Leader. This week brings us to the final part of this incredibly phenomenal leadership book, which is an asynchronous book study podcast where our community members are able to share their contributions, their ideas, their insights into questions related to each chapter of the book on an asynchronous Google slide deck, which is now celebrated on this podcast episode. Owen does a wonderful job of introducing this epic final part of his book, discussing how leadership is no longer about managing employees, but more about leading professionals through their careers. Although I'm sure it comes as no surprise to any of our listeners, he does warn us on page 271 that 21st century leadership is way more challenging than leadership in the past, but he says it is also far more rewarding. This final part of Owen's book discusses the nature of leadership as a changing model and he navigates that through professionalization in the workforce, employee choice, globalization and specialization as well as the lean matrix. I'm really very excited to dive into this final part together as we're always talking in education about those 21st century skills that learners need and how educators can support fostering those skills in their classrooms. But what about the 21st century leadership skills, those that learners, educators, and leaders alike will need as we all embark on this lifelong journey to improve, develop, and enhance our professional skills? Chapter 36. Lead Professionals. Owen challenges us to consider stepping up from performance management of workers into the leading of professionals and shares 10 ways to support us in managing those professionals. Which of these strategies are strengths in your current practice and which ones would you like to add to your toolkit which might support you in further shifting culture from management to leadership? There was a great consensus of responses across the board here for this particular chapter, especially given the current abnormal that we're all living and how we can support a culture shift across these very unique times. Roxy T kicks us off saying that supporting her team is one strategy, which she's very strong at, as well as doing things like having resources ready for them. She also says that she's been trying much harder to celebrate their work so that they can feel comfortable. And I was really, really impressed with that response, Roxy T, because actually, if we're able to support our teams in increasing their comfort level, that also means that therefore we are building higher amounts of trust. Roxy T is also feeling quite inspired as she's looking forward to the opportunity to be coaching her first official group of online teachers working remotely and looking forward to helping them collaboratively set professional goals using the five-step coaching model so that she can really support and stretch them our own Becky L celebrates the unison of setting a direction and also supporting your team. She says that it definitely helps her team members to feel more respected as well as focused. She thinks that a constant area of growth is the stretch them and that although she loves pushing boundaries and taking risks, she is definitely cautious about overstepping that or stretching people too far to the point that they no longer want to engage in coaching cycles. Some very important points to keep in mind, Becky L. Thank you. On page 275, Owen says, if you do your job well, you will be leading people who are as smart, if not smarter than you are. And I'm personally really proud of the way I've been stepping up my own leadership game in the past couple of years, really learning to manage less and allowing the team members that I support a lot more creative freedom. What I've actually found is that when you give them that freedom, they can actually teach you a lot more. The sense of trust that's created and developed and built and strengthened from giving your team that freedom really empowers them to rise to the challenge. So whether it's your mission, your vision, professional goals, whatever it is that you are trying to instill or push forward in your organization, allowing your team the freedom to drive that forward will help you to reap great success and achievement across the board. Something that I'm really looking forward to developing even further in this next period is the delegate piece. So not just delegating tasks or requests, et cetera, but really coaching my team members to support them in solving their own problems so that they actually develop resiliency and build their own self-confidence as well. Shannon M celebrates her relationship skills again, saying that a strength of hers is actually being able to shield those whom she supports from the outside messes that would only bring them down. She continues sharing that she takes her leadership very seriously, always aiming to be an advocate for her people. Sometimes she says she receives information that isn't really useful to anyone, so she saves them from any frustration and helps support them with only need-to-know experiences. And along with shielding of her team comes the area of opportunity, which she'd like to work on more is to stretch them. She's trying to find that really fine balance of When do we ask them to take the risk and take the leap and push them versus not overwhelming them and it becoming too much? She definitely does not want to rob them of any opportunity of growth, so she wants to become more mindful about relying on evidence and being mindful about reading between the lines. She says she can't limit her teams based on her own perceptions of their needs and instead rely much heavier on evidence. Chapter 37, Manage Your Boss We've all experienced the good or bad power a boss can hold over us at some point in our careers who just might very well be the most important person with the ability to hinder or lift our work, well-being, and role. How have you experienced success with any of the three principles Owen describes as crucial in managing the relationship you have with your boss? It's always easy to complain about things which might not be going well in a professional relationship, but how can we shift our mindset and actions to one of taking initiative to build the relationship before it crumbles? How might this process help you to build and strengthen your own leadership skills? I definitely agree with Becky L., who says that she's found it very powerful to build relationships with her boss as early as possible. Trying to seek to understand by asking questions has also helped her foster her relationship with other administrators. She said that she's also had great success with sharing out great things happening in her own classroom or in her professional career. And she says that she doesn't keep secrets from her boss and she keeps them in the loop as often as necessary. Sometimes it may be more often. Often than necessary, she says. I couldn't agree more. Those relationships are not just important for educators in the classroom or within our own teams, but they're also important with those who we report to. Relationships have been a super common thread across responses for this chapter. And Roxy T also agrees that Owen's principle of building trust has been super successful for her. Even the little things like a project that her current boss offered her earlier in their professional relationship actually helped to push her out of her comfort zone. And she says it also went a really long way in establishing credibility since they now have a solid and positive relationship together. The principle of adapting her own style to fit those who are above her was actually something she said that she wanted to try harder to apply, which I actually found was a strength for myself. I feel that I'm becoming more and more aware of... Of all of the people around me, not just the ones that I'm supporting, but also those whom I report to above me. And I feel that as you progress through your leadership journey, that any conflicts that may arise with your superior or your boss as you go through your journey is, as Owen says on page 280, that it's usually not related to performance problems, but actually related to styles. I also want to add that I think this principle is a two-way street, and that if your superior is a strong leader as Owen has, described across this book, then they also will be working towards adapting to your style. And again, it comes down to that teamwork idea and that relationship building that if both of you are working towards meeting in the middle and you and your boss are both working towards adapting to each other, then it's going to be a strong, solid success. Owen also says on page 279 that learning to manage your boss is a good test of your leadership skills and I feel like Shannon's response really exemplifies this quote as she is working in the male-female differential where she is a woman and her boss is a male. He's interested in sports and quite often uses sports analogies when expressing his ideas. So although she's not a huge fan of sports, she has learned to roll with the punches as she said and figure out how how to frame new ideas when presenting those to him in ways that may have a similar tactic. She also very vulnerably shares that her and her boss have different ways of thinking about things. So she has to be cognizant about using more emotionally forward approaches when chatting with him about things, because a matter of fact approach can sometimes come off as callous for someone like that who leads with more emotion. Such a powerful point to keep in mind, thinking about how all parties of the conversation are using their emotions in play. She also says that every approach is really unique and it's up to us to figure out the quirks and meet the communication needs of our boss in an effort to continue to encourage harmony. And I really, really appreciated Shannon's word choice on this one. I think that if we want to support teams across the organization, if we want to help our community to live and thrive in the vision, the mission, and support the goals and success and achievement of all stakeholders, that that is exactly what needs to happen. All relationships, all interactions, especially those with our employers, our line managers, our bosses, they need to be harmonious. Chapter 38, build influence across your organization. This powerful chapter discusses shifting leadership styles from the traditional authoritative management style to one of leadership by building influence and empowerment. With a shift away from compliance and to move towards an organic ecosystem where your community wants to follow their leader, Owen dives into his trust equation in greater detail. Relationships and happy community members may very well not be new to us in education, so how can we leverage these factors to reinforce relationships with difficult stakeholders and build positive influence across our organization? And for any of our listeners who haven't had a chance to read this chapter yet, Owen describes on page 289 or defines, I should say, his building trust equation, which is trust equals credibility times intimacy over risk. Credibility has been a unanimous trend across responses for this chapter, starting with our own Becky L.
0: Building a positive influence in any organization is important, but I would say it's especially important when it comes to coaching, because when you're coaching, you have to have that trust. You have to be able to take some of the risk off of the teacher because it's a risk for them to join in a coaching cycle. You have to be vulnerable with them. So I really liked Owen's mathematical equation, if you want to call it that. And I would say like credibility is probably the largest one. But it does start with, you know, removing some of the risk, making the risk seem a little less daunting for teachers or for admin who are going to have coaches go in there. So from my experience, it does come down to a lot of the credibility. If I say that I'm gonna do something or support in one way or another, I do it. Uh, an example of this is last year I gave teachers a survey to see how the implementation of next generation science standards were going, what was working, what wasn't. And when we give a survey, We are building that trust that we're going to do something with that information. We actually want teachers to provide input so we can help make change for the better to support their needs. And so I followed up with that survey by letting teachers know, hey, here's what you're looking for you were saying that the three lessons a week plus going to the science lab was too much. I want to help with the pacing guide and bring it down to two lessons a week. And then maybe that third lesson could be turned into a rotation during our stations, things like that. So that's a really specific example of one way to build up that credibility and that trust. But It helped because teachers acknowledged the fact that they completed a survey and action was taken. I also like that he brings in intimacy and talking about how we have to get to know each other. We have to find those connections and those connections need to be beyond we're both educators. So building that intimacy, getting to know one another does help. It's not a popularity contest. I love that he throws that in there. And this chapter definitely spoke to me on all counts of building influence in impactful ways and building up that credibility
1: and trust. And I really love the way you talked about committing into action, right? I think it's that whole idea of follow through that when we give our word and we commit to a staff member, our colleague, our boss, that we are actually following through with that commitment. So I absolutely love that, Becky. Thank you. Roxy T. and Shannon M. continue the conversation, talking now more about perception. Roxy T. specifically says, and quotes Owen on page 292, saying, What we say and what is heard are often very different. Adding context, talking about her own position where she's often between teachers that she supports, as well as the district leadership who make the decision. So it made her think about a time when she may have told teachers, Look, I'm going to look into that for you. Now understanding that that could be misinterpreted on their end because, What they actually want to hear is that she will make it happen. So she really appreciated Owen's comment that it is our job to ensure that we are understood. I also really love Shannon M's approach to master communicators. Just wow. She really believes that everyone has their own perception and lives and their own reality. So it is up to us as leaders to become master communicators and be mindful of the fact that we are all different humans from different backgrounds with different experiences. She goes on to talk about the importance of word choice and says that it goes back to intimacy, that we should know our teams well enough to be able to clearly communicate in a way that meets them where they're at. So we can't necessarily change minds just because we believe passionately about something. She says we have to deliver on what we say with our actions, and that starts with understanding our teams and framing our approach accordingly. Owen says on page 289, you have to be the leader people want to follow rather than the leader people have to follow. and I just finished reading another part of leadership is language and in that book they also talk about shifting from compliance to commitment. And in order to gain buy-in for your teams, at least for myself, what you want to do is you want to create that culture of empowerment when people feel like they have an opportunity to actually make a difference like their opinions and their choices and their recommendations, suggestions, ideas, etc that they actually matter, that they're valued, then they're going to want to take risks, right? And then they're going to want to actually do more for you as a leader. So the more that you empower them, give them that space to take action, and the more you follow up and support them through that process, you're actually going to reap massive success as a leader because you've created that sense of buy-in through building trust. And when you build trust, you then increase commitment. Chapter 39, Influence Decisions. How many times have you been given information just to discover that you were not included in the decision-making process once again? Well, you're not alone. And based on the work of Nobel Prize-winning economist Daniel Kahneman, Owen shares some strategies which can help us in taking more of an active role in influencing decisions. Which ones have worked well to support a more inclusive decision-making process across your organization? Please share any other strategies you found successful and or any bright spots which further develop influential skills as coaches, mentors and leaders. This chapter is a great opportunity to celebrate different voices as everybody has different strengths as a coach, mentor, or leader. So we'll start with Roxy T who said that one strategy that worked really well for her was strategy number five, which is frame the decision favorably. She said it reminds her of the section of the Google coaching curriculum, which emphasized the importance of aligning coaching goals with school and district goals as well. And that one thing that helped her team to sell the idea of coaching was showing how it could actually help different Parts of her organization meet the larger district goals. And I really connected with the part where she talked about being persistent as definitely helping her. She said that they tried to find opportunities to bring it up and remind people of all the benefits that coaching can provide an organization. And that really personally resonated with myself because be persistent is Owen's strategy number nine. And he actually, if you take a look at the page on page 298, he actually repeats it. Repetition works, repetition works, repetition works over and over again. And it really, really does. And I know Becky L also agrees with that saying that repetition includes repeating the goals, repeating the purpose and repeating the intention that decisions should be made when everyone is on the same page and has had ample time to understand the decision at hand. She said this one reminds her of pop-up pedagogy. Super great addition, Becky L. Thank you. On page 297, Owen says, as a leader, some decisions will be beyond your control. And Shannon M. talks a lot about the whole idea of salesmanship and how, although she doesn't personally connect to salespeople, she does think we need to be able to draw on some of the successful approaches when we're trying to influence others. Owen specifically talks about restricting choice, right? So as not to overwhelm or confuse others. But he also includes how powerful word choice is when expressing the options that you're actually providing. And Shannon says as humans, we are drawn to positivity. It's just part of our human nature. We do not like to be associated with ideas that hold negative connotations. So as leaders, she says, when trying to persuade others to align with our choice, we can actually manipulate language to subconsciously guide them there. She explains that framing options A and B using negative language will only propel them towards option C, which is our desired option, because it is actually framed positively. So again, it comes down to being master communicators and paying attention to the little things that have big impact. Thank you so much for that insight. Chapter 40, listen to influence. One of the greatest ways to communicate effectively, concisely and clearly is by first listening actively. Owen asks us to reflect on moments of communication breakdown in this chapter and challenges us to identify and understand how we are demonstrating active listening in our own interactions with others. Whether you are an educator, coach, mentor, or leader, please share examples of questions and or strategies that have helped you to achieve success when supporting others. Shannon M reflectively shares that asking questions has been a recurring theme for her this chapter and she talks about how a few years ago she had to come to a point where she introspectively determined that she'd actually adopted a savior complex and every interaction reflected that so rather than allowing those that she was mentoring to struggle through and create their own solutions to challenges through reflection she actually felt like she needed to swoop in and save the day providing solutions to their problems without encouraging any any onus. And so, this idea of asking questions has been a recurring theme for her throughout this chapter that she's actually built her confidence as a leader, mentor, and coach over the years. She connects as Owen reinforces the idea of asking the right kinds of questions, right? So, because that promotes onus and allows the individual to learn from the experiences, therefore equipping them with the transferable skill of actually tackling future challenges. She also says that active listening is hard for some because we view every experience through our own lens. And if we don't see how a method could be satisfactory in an experience, because it doesn't make sense to us, we aim to persuade individuals to choose what we think is the right path. However, it might just be the right path for us, not necessarily for them. So she says, listening actively and asking questions is essential to promoting growth and empowering those who we are working with. Becky L also thinks it's really critical for leaders and coaches to listen and seek to understand for responding and or offering feedback or advice. And she is really happy to see that Owen brought back the phrase, good leaders, like most normal people, have one mouth and two ears and they use them in that proportion, a statement which she really loves. She continues saying that in coaching cycles, we need to actively listen to understand the heart of the challenge and provide support from there. Typically, the first challenge a teacher shares is not always at the heart of the challenge. It's just a surface response. So by asking questions and clarifying, she can dig much deeper and provide a better level of support. On page 303, Owen says, letting people talk takes more time than simply telling them what to do. And it's that whole idea of change management, right? Culture shift from leading by managing to leading for change, which is leading professionals. He does talk about paraphrasing and asking open questions. But for myself, the idea here was how are we listening in order to influence? And these are all strategies that Shannon and Becky mentioned as well that help that. But I really, Found that the last section in particular, called debrief, is not only just the point where paraphrasing and asking the right kinds of questions will affirm if people understood where you're coming from, or if you're all on the same page, but it's also a critical point where you'll be able to know, were you able to influence the conversation? Were you able to have a positive impact? Because if you did, then that buy-in actually will materialize into commitment. And Owen even goes as far as to say that we will get far more value and intelligence out of a meeting by a quick debrief, just checking in and saying, who is going to do what next? Not only clarifying. What those next steps are, but so that people can actually take accountability and that onus that Shannon was talking about earlier, right? The debrief is that final key that will lock in that commitment from your team. Chapter 41 Lead in a Global World. Owen explains on page 307 that in a global context, leadership means you have to make things happen through people who are not like you and do not think like you at all, leading to greater pitfalls of misunderstanding. Across global research, he indicates that there are four priorities we need to consistently practice correctly as global educators, coaches, mentors, and leaders. Goal setting, communications, trust, and decision making. How are you maximizing these priorities across your role to master the art of influence in complex local and global communities which support you in building your global skills as a 21st century leader? I felt like this chapter really brought in other areas that Owen had been emphasizing across the book. Things like making sure you have the right people for the right meeting, for the right task, that you have a variety of different skill sets and different personality types across your team. Just like here at 3CCs, where we are a great example of actually collaborating globally in the 21st century. So as education leaders, we're all working across time zones to support each other, as well as our education educational communities where we are constantly learning to make this work together, this is a new reality. And moving forward into the new abnormal, we are going to see more and more teams, more and more education communities collaborating globally. And so it's that whole idea of being able to understand, to empathize, to work collaboratively together towards the greater good. Becky L. also celebrates that although her current work is not necessarily a global entity, that the pandemic has opened up other opportunities for them to meet virtually and build relationships through virtual platforms. And then outside of work, she also engages in organizations which are global, and she finds that it all starts with having clear goals. She says sometimes groups have goals, but they're not necessarily clear. So 21st century organizations, Becky L. says, require clear goals that everyone understands on the same level. Shannon M's lens is a little different since she says she's not had to manage teams that are international. She feels more like her experience this year with virtual learning and social distancing has really made her draw upon the principles that Owen outlined here. And she said she had to come to terms that while reading this chapter, Owen said the global challenge is unkind to micromanagers and control freaks. She said that she learned quickly that being a control freak won't work when teams aren't able to come together face to face. So she's had to relinquish some of that and just trust that her teams were doing what they needed to do. She also talks about her English department and said that she started the year by committing to keeping the lines of communication open and honest in an effort to build that culture of trust. She also celebrates that she was able to model that openness and vulnerability when they had video calls and she encouraged it when she conversed one-on-one with her teammates. She found that as time went on during whole team calls, individuals were more willing to express themselves because it had been done in more intimate settings. So that trust with her, had actually been cultivated. Moving forward, she says that an area she wants to work on most is the transparent goal setting. She feels like as a team, sometimes we let our administrations dictate the goals that we have as a department, and that needs to shift. She says that their context as a department is different than other departments. So while the vision for instruction might be the same across the entire school site, they definitely have specific needs in each of their separate departments. So considering context will be important to that endeavor. Chapter 42. Careering vs. Careers Ever since the Industrial Revolution, employment continues to evolve and is no longer bound by the decisions of a single employer. Owen examines how our professional network allows us flexibility in career pathing and that careers no longer hinge on a single skill set, but that we need instead to be developing relative skills like political skills of influencing decisions, aligning agendas, fighting or avoiding battles, and building networks of trust. Whether we are teaching in a classroom, coaching or mentoring colleagues, and or leading across the organization, which characteristics can support you in fostering a positive shift in the direction of careering? I definitely feel from the responses to this chapter that both Becky L and Shannon M are super excited about the shifts that the pandemic is currently, I suppose we could say, forcing us to navigate finally at last in a celebratory manner. Becky L says that this chapter definitely resonated with our teaching efforts. She says, does she think teaching will go away in the next 50 years? No. But does she think the way we teach will dramatically shift over time? Absolutely. With all of this in mind, she says we also need to make sure that we are honing in on our craft to ensure that students are set up for the ever-changing careers that will be available to them. We need to be flexible and shift our practices to support our students. Shannon M. takes us along the shifts in industry from the industrialized revolution. The most important aspect now seems to be exactly what Owen describes as needing a claim to fame and staking that claim. Shannon says that she loves how he frames that approach with three characteristics of enjoyment, visibility, and ownership. And that in an effort to build our employability, Shannon M says we need to find that thing that propels us forward and puts our abilities in the limelight. She thinks that as coaches, mentors, and leaders, we need to help our teams and educators figure out how to do that. We need to help them find their claim to fame by asking questions and creating spaces that give them the opportunity to explore. I love this next point. She says that being excellent at something not only supports the organizations we participate in, but it also reinforces our positivity and joy because we are actually excelling in an area that brings us joy. So therefore, we're going to keep wanting to do it and hopefully keep growing in that area of strength. I couldn't really agree more with this point because in particular, we see more and more that organizations are supporting educators, middle leaders, and even senior leaders in their endeavor to extend themselves outside of school walls, for example, doing other projects, just like this podcast that we have going on at 3CCs, other areas in the global industry that actually supports us to improve and enhance our own tradecraft in education. Fantastic point, Shannon. On page 315, Owen says, as a leader, the reality of careering has profound implications for how you manage your career and skills, which evolve over time. And just before that, on page 314, he actually talks about automation and artificial intelligence. And that particularly really resonated with me, as I actually just finished an entire ten-week course with ISTI AI explorations. And along with what I learned, Owen quotes Oxford University research from 2017, and he said that 47% of all jobs will disappear to AI in the next 20 years. I do agree with Becky. Do we think that education is going to go away? Absolutely not. But it is shifting, and quite rapidly. And we need to make sure. That That we are not just embracing that, but that we are actually taking initiative as educators, coaches, mentors, middle, senior leaders, doing everything we can to ensure that these amazing positive takeaways, silver linings, we call them, that we've taken from this pandemic period does not just dissolve. But to the contrary, as Owen says on page 315, that although we need to keep refreshing and building and growing and enhancing our technical skills, that it's actually going to be people and political skills that are going to be in high demand over the course of time as careers and leadership continue to evolve. So yes, AI is here. And yes, I absolutely believe that a large portion of the employment that our students now in our educational organizations are going to... To acquire when they leave will be impacted by machine learning, deep learning, artificial intelligence. We even just saw just last week on the Google I.O. release that they are almost all powered by artificial intelligence. That has to tell us something. We have to be able to wake up and say, okay, it is here now. There's no going back to what we thought was normal previously. There's only moving forward in the new abnormal and building towards those future careers. Chapter 43, Craft Your Personal Success Formula. This inspiring chapter delves into ideals which support us in crafting our own personal leadership success formula. Just like personalized learning in the classroom, where student centricity exists at the core of pedagogy, so too does personalizing the pathway for all to embark upon their leadership journey. How can Owen's www, what went well, and EBI, even better if, Support lifelong learning into personalized leadership in your role or for those whom you support. Shannon said that Owen's WWW and EBI keep the focus on positive aspects of an experience as well as set the stage for discussing how to build off the positivity and propel it into the future with action plans for innovation and growth. She continues saying that the beauty of WWW and EBI exists in the fact that the reflective process is action oriented. By being able to identify the things that worked and focus on what we can do next time, then Shannon says we've already set a path forward for the next time we encounter a similar situation. She says that this is a very forward thinking activity versus a stagnant one. And even Owen on page 319 says that success is not natural. It is very hard work because events are always conspiring against you. And I think that that is especially true given the current pandemic where we literally don't know what is going to happen tomorrow or in the weeks, months, or years to come. I think also one of the big thematic takeaways from this entire book and the leadership journey is the power of relationships and how they really are at the center of leadership and success teams. And this particular chapter, again, brings out the focus on word choice. So instead of saying, for example, what could we improve on? What do you think we could do better next time? With this specific word choice of even better if, it almost inspires imagination of what could be done to improve X, Y, or Z, right? It's that power of positive thrust forward into developing, enhancing, and improving And just like we shared in previous chapters, we know that when we're working on things that bring us joy, that bring us happiness, that we are inspired to work toward, we know that that is going to inspire a continuous lifelong learning habit. Chapter 44, Step Up, Not Back, Moments of Truth. It's time to get real in this chapter, and Owen does an immaculate job of articulating why stepping up into leadership can be challenging in light of shared responsibility and ambiguous work visibility. How can we boldly prepare for some of the predictable and classic moments of truth which he outlines, setting ourselves up for success in those few moments of visibility which could shape our career and future?
2: You know, I really loved this chapter because it's all about getting real, and I feel like that is my M.O., (laughs) Owen's approach all seems to really come down to how we want others to perceive us. I appreciate that he gives some like concrete approaches to that endeavor as well. Impressions matter so much. And if we aren't being cognizant of like how we're perceived by others, we'll be disappointed when we get passed up for that promotion or any ounce of recognition. At my site, uh, I am labeled as the one who always speaks up and says something. In fact, people have kind of like expected it. And when I choose not to, uh, when I choose not to add to the conversation, i'm often asked later on if i'm okay or you know if things are all right and i just think that's funny but i am deliberate in like how others perceive me i want to be known as someone who individuals can rely on to provide quality solutions you know or someone they can trust to like express a new and innovative idea I refuse to sit back and just hope that I will be recognized on merit. I do good work, but unfortunately, that's not how the world works. Owen talks about preparing for those moments of truth. Uh, And I think he was spot on in that. We need to always be considering our next steps and really evaluating how we can express our worth and really exemplify the value we can add to our teams. It's like he said, it's a deliberate practice. We need to deliberately make a choice to share and express and come prepared and think about the way we make people feel, or else we're going to be caught off guard when opportunity presents itself. And if that's the case, you know, then we shouldn't be surprised when we get overlooked because we didn't commit to showcasing what we have to offer. The area I want to work on moving forward is really receiving feedback. I'm usually open to feedback, but instead of just sitting passively and hearing it, I really want to be more, as Owen puts it, inquisitive, positive, and constructive so that I can exemplify I really am taking it all in and choosing to use that feedback as a stepping stone. I definitely have learned over the years that passivity gets overlooked and that effective action gets rewarded. And so I'm really going to tailor suit my approach with that in mind.
1: And adding on to what Shannon was saying about speaking your mind, Owen also says on page 329, remove the guesswork. If you don't ask the question, you don't get the answer. He says, be bold and ask. I definitely think that as much as I've been able to frame the content of this book against the educational framework, I do think that education is very special in the sense that educators and leaders, we're always in go mode, we're always in presentation mode. And so whether that's in the classroom, whether it's in a staff meeting, whether it's in the boardroom, wherever it is that we are sharing, we are always in go mode. So arguably, many could say that they're always prepared, right, for moments of visibility, Things like curriculum planning and lesson planning and meetings that we have to go to to discuss these things. These things are things that we can prepare for. So if these are like routine and these are the norm, how are we setting ourselves apart? How are we creating a sense of uniqueness? How do we stand apart from the rest of the crowd? This is where the creativity and the innovation comes in, in leadership. This is where you need to think about where education is going and how are you supporting your learners or your team, depending on your role in education, to move forward in the current times, times where education is shifting. This is where you need to step up and you need to make your game strong. Chapter 45, Act the Part. This critical chapter in our leadership journey dives into the culture and norms of leadership performance, and Owen explains that these change over time and with context, emphasizing how important it is to be aware of these paradigms so that we can discover them for ourselves. What kinds of higher professional standards do you set for yourself, and how do they set you up for success as an inspiring role model? Shannon M. said she learned early in her career that adaptation is key for survival, so evaluating the spaces you inhabit and those people you work closely with is an important skill on the path to success. Leadership is a performance is what Owen stated early on in this chapter, which captured Shannon's approach to professionalism exceptionally. Shannon says that professionalism changes based on your surroundings and who you interact with, and so you should always adapt to the communities that you engage with to ensure success, but she says that one area we should never sacrifice is the standards we set for ourselves. She continues to add that we can change the language we use or the clothes we wear to become relatable, but in that, we shouldn't have to settle for mediocrity or the standards we set for interacting with other humans and how we go about making them feel valued valuable. She says that she believes individuals need to be uplifted at all times, so with that in mind, there really shouldn't be a place for mean-spirited approaches in the professional setting. She does look forward to thinking about some of the norms that Owen outlines at the end of the chapter. As she approaches her team next year, she wants to consider things like the audience, the culture, and individual spaces before she can just incorporate new change. She says professional guard is a tricky balance, but it definitely seems to pay off at the end. I agree with Shannon. I think that we need to be constantly adapting to the people around us in our personal lives as well as our professional lives. Owen spent several chapters across the book talking about how we can adapt to the people that we support in our teams as well as the people above us, the ones whom we report to. And given that I'm an international education leader, it really is a requirement that you're able to empathize with those around you, that you're able to adapt to different styles and different approaches. Let's take a look at dress code, which is one example that Owen mentioned in the book on page 334. Here in the Middle East, you know, women don't show their shoulders or their knees. So, are we being mindful of that when we travel here, when we come and work abroad to those cultural norms? And what about those in our classrooms and workplace? This is something we need to be mindful of that not adapting to the cultural norms, including dress code, of the areas we are working in professionally could actually come across as a Lack of respect. So, even though you may not necessarily be living in a Middle Eastern country like myself right now, I absolutely encourage our listeners to be mindful of the people who are in your classrooms, who are in teams that you work with, who are in your organization, your school community, your parent community, etc. Professional guard for myself is way beyond just the impressions that I want others to have of myself. It's actually how I hope to be treated the same way that I treat others with the utmost respect so that we can have successful collaboration and cooperation together. At the end of the day, as Owen says on page 334, Professional Guard is not just about setting standards for yourself, it's about being a role model for others. And he closes this chapter actually sharing some norms that we may want to think about, things like risk, adaptability or conformity, walk or run, action versus analysis, big picture or detail, customer service or profit maximization. He says that the only right answer is what works in your world. And I think for myself, this is the quote on page 336 that really resonated with me because it wasn't until I actually moved to the Middle East that I truly understood what it was like to be in that culture, that I really was able to develop my empathy skills. And I feel quite grateful that I have the opportunity to be immersed in a different culture and meet so many people of diversity on a daily basis so that I can constantly grow my empathy skills. And I think that's sometimes difficult for educators or leaders who may not have had that opportunity to live and work abroad. It's even more important and more imperative that if you are in that situation, knowing that there are other second and third and fourth culture students and learners and possibly adults in your work environment, that we are role models in setting the standards for a high Level of respect for everyone around us. Chapter 46 Be the Part. Education lends itself to empowering others as we know there exists a leader in everyone. In this final chapter, Owen takes a deep dive into seven mindsets which will support everyone in becoming the best leader they can be: which are aim for the stars, be brave, stay the course, stay positive, believe in yourself, learn and grow, be ruthless setting goals and budgets, and sticking to them, and building the A-team. If leadership is not then about our title or role, but more about the impact we have instead, then please share how Owen's How to Lead inspires and empowers you to chase your leadership goals to fruition. I do believe that this chapter is the longest chapter of the entire book as Owen dives quite deeply into each of the seven mindsets to help us really solidify everything that we've learned in this book about leadership. Shannon M says that this book's really given her a pragmatic approach to leadership and also strongly reinforced a few points that she already felt were part of her leadership journey. First, she wants to celebrate that at the core of being a quality leader lies people, which comes at no surprise from Shannon M., who is really, really big on relationships. She says that if we want to impact others, we have to see them, value them, and express that gratitude and appreciation to our teammates often and authentically, which she says can't happen unless we aim to really cultivate true and honest relationships with others. She says we have to exemplify that we believe in their worth as human beings as well as their value as teammates. Sometimes this can be challenging because we ourselves are humans. But if we can find a good balance here, Shannon M says that she thinks our lead experiences will be worthwhile. She loves how Owen discusses the power that exists in action, as she is an action-oriented human, and she always strives to be mindful about putting the right people in place with a concrete and clear idea that will encourage quality and effective action for her teammates. Impact happens when others say so. Impact isn't just what you feel. It is shown through evidence, initiatives working, feedback from those you are leading, changed lives and systems which brings her to her final takeaway she says if we want to truly make an impact we need to look outwardly and empower our teams to meet goals build relationships and feel positive about the effect they are having in their spaces shannon says we have to keep others at the forefront of our minds or else we become lost in a narcissistic approach that leaves us leading nobody but ourselves leadership isn't about seeking praise It isn't about aiming for accolades or personal recognition. It is about empowering others so the ripple of impact can continue to flourish across the organization. The text has reinforced for Shannon that, in fact, she is a quality leader, she says, but it has also given her steps to consider to enhance her own leadership abilities but also to be better for her teammates, colleagues, and her students. We have an opportunity, and she refuses to waste it. A very inspiring conclusion from Shannon just about the fact that she's always wanting to up her game, and I really appreciate that. So thank you for sharing so vulnerably, Shannon. On page 339 and 355, Owen says, We simply have to be the best of who we already are. Leadership is not about your title. It is about what you do. But it's funny, you know, because I actually have one of those fancy titles, Director of Learning Technology. So, so what? What does it mean, a title, if it's not backed up by all of the actions you do to be a role model and to empower those whom you support? I found this book extremely inspiring and I also appreciated what Shannon said about having a pragmatic approach. There are just so many different strategical ideas that we can use to support leadership right across the organization. So I'm really looking forward to applying so many of these takeaways in my own personal leadership journey. One of my biggest takeaways from the book was when Owen was talking about making sure that we have meetings for a specific purpose. And it really got me thinking about the structure of leadership across the organization and that in my role, maybe that is something that I can really, truly, positively impact. You know, who is on these different teams that we have across the school? Why do we have each person there? And when we have meetings to discuss things, why is everybody coming to that meeting and making sure that it is with a specific intent and a specific purpose? Therefore, making sure that we're being very respectful of everybody's time. And I think that's also something we can take away from the silver linings of the COVID pandemic, you know, is this idea of respecting time inside space. And so when we're having professional development as well, do we need staff to be there for the entire hour? Does it have to be done at a specific time? Can we be more lenient in giving educators and middle and senior leaders the space and time that they need to develop themselves? So there's lots of amazing takeaways to think about when we want to consider giving our teams more creative freedom to learn and develop and share in their own time and spaces. So sadly, but super proudly, that brings us to the end of the 3CC's very first book study podcast, where we have studied together Joe Owens' How to Lead. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank everybody in the 3CC's community for taking time out of their really busy lives to join us on this journey of how to become better leaders, how to improve our tradecraft, and to support our communities to the best of our abilities. It's been an absolute pleasure to share in this journey with you and to celebrate all of the voices from those who contributed in the Asynchronous Book Study together, as well as to celebrate and read and hear all of the amazing feedback that everybody who's listening to this podcast has also been sharing across social media. So a big shout out from 3CCs to our entire community, which leads me very nicely to our next episode. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Episode 12 is coming at you in exactly two weeks from today. It is a big surprise. So mark your calendars. You won't want to miss this one from Shannon, Becky, and myself. We are going to be tuning in for something special in just two weeks from now. And as always, your feedback is super, super important to us. So stay tuned. Also next episode release, we will be sharing out an opportunity for you to give us feedback so that we can continue to improve this 3CC's podcast experience for our entire community. And last but not least, for all of you who have enjoyed this book study podcast, there will be a second round. And so stay tuned for your chance to actually vote on which book we are going to be studying together in our community. Thank you so much for listening. And make sure to visit our website at 3caffeinatedcoaches.com. We'd love to continue the conversation. So follow us on social media and remember to tag hashtag three CCs. And as always...
0: We hope your caffeine is strong and your inspiration is high.